You're listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about the year's best movies. And today, we're going to talk about one of those movies. This one is the most recent movie starring Nicolas Cage, one of, I think, about four he's been in this year, but certainly the highest profile of all of them. This is Dream Scenario, written and directed by Christopher Borgley, who did Sick of Myself last year. Dream Scenario is about a professor who suddenly just starts appearing in people's dreams, and that brings with it overnight fame that he is not really prepared for. This is a really interesting movie. It's definitely pretty strange, and uh, I want to say really unique. Obviously, the word unique sort of implies that re- implies a uniqueness that really doesn't really add to. So it's a, it's a very strange movie. It's really um, very unlike other movies out there right now. And I re- think we both really liked it. So I'm excited for you guys to hear our discussion on it. We're going to talk a little bit about Christopher Borgley, a little bit about Nicolas Cage, because we haven't talked about him that many times on this, uh, on this show yet. And then we're going to get right into Dream Scenario. There's so much in this movie that I'm, I know we, we talk about it for a while and we get pretty in depth where we can, but I really think that we just, you know, we don't, we, we could talk about it for a lot longer and I think you would need to in order to get to the heart of really everything that's here, but I hope you will like our discussion and I thought that uh, it was, I thought we had a lot of cool stuff to say. So anyway, without further ado, I'm going to let you just hear that. Uh, but I was lying. There is actually going to be further ado. Here is a little bit of one of the songs from the movie, City of Dreams by Talking Heads. movies live the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies based on dreams and so uh of course i'm sure you saw this coming pierre my first question for you today is uh what did you dream of last night oh damn i even i know i dreamt about something but i can't even remember right now what did you dream about I, I I don't remember either. Sometimes oh, yeah. I'll remember like really vividly what I dreamt about. And it's usually something that's like, it's not like really sad. It's just super disappointing. And I wake up super <laughs> bummed out when I actually remember my dreams. And then yeah. like, and today, today was not one of those days. So I guess that's probably that's good. good. Yeah. But you don't feel bummed. Uh, yeah. But I don't remember what I dreamt about, if anything. Yeah. I think it's like something I have to like um actively like think about after i've woken up to remember yeah. if that makes sense if so, it's something so weird that i like actually think about it for an hour after i wake up yeah then, like i'll still forget it a bit eventually but sometimes like i'll go as far as the afternoon and be like i had the strangest dream <laughs> yeah yeah um damn i i don't think i had a bad dream though i have i have woken up from dreams where i'm like like, I know that bummed out feeling, though, where you're like, damn, like, and sometimes it's a good dream, and you're like, oh, damn, like, that kind of, 
and you wake up and you're like, oh shit, I gotta go to work. That's not yeah. Good, those aren't those aren't great either. I I I haven't had like that many dreams like this, but I know it has happened to me at least once. Where like you'll see you'll hear about people you'll hear people talk about it in movies or stories or stuff where they're like. I dreamed the next seven years of my life and it was amazing. And then I woke up and like, I don't have that happen regularly, but I've definitely had something like that happen at least once where I woke up and I'm like, Oh damn. It probably wasn't seven years. It was probably like a three and a half months or something. Yeah, I mean, that's still like quite a bit. I remember uh, reading this one story on Reddit. I don't know if it was real, but the guy who was in a coma for like a year and he literally like, dreamt up to his death and then he died and then he or no or maybe he was i think he dreamt and like for 30 years that he had kids and like a wife and then he woke up and he was like like still single and broke or something (laughs) i think that would like him dude that would mess you up because if you're actually having a dream vivid enough where you are like living for 30 years when you wake up it's like you're in a different reality yeah literally and like like you probably felt like you probably loved his kids and his wife and it's not like there's like they exist in real life and he can like find it's like they literally don't exist it's just like, i guess well that's the plot of wandavision so yeah now now i understand how why wandavision's wanda sacrificed for everyone now it makes sense um so actually i think that's gonna come back today because that was my main thought when i was uh watching the movie we're going to talk about today, Dream Scenario, yesterday. I had, uh, I think that it captures a lot of that feeling in a really interesting way that's, like, not immediately obvious. Like, uh, we're going to talk about it, but in this movie, it's not like the main character is dreaming up a new life for however many years and then wakes up. But it's almost, like, it's a similar feeling to waking up and your life is something completely different. And like you don't have any control over it and that's kind of what this movie's about yeah it's um it's well it's nicholas cage it's like it's that that's that episode of spongebob where he he wanders into other people's dreams and he messes yeah, them up i guess all right i guess that's also well freddy krueger wasn't really a character i think he was just a dream person he didn't exist in real life no he did um, have you seen that movie yeah no i i saw the first one in the was first it established one, he's, he's a real person? Yeah, he was a oh. um he was at least accused of being. I think he actually was, but like the big important thing is that he was accused of being a pedophile in his uh in his um community and all the neighbors got together and burned him. And that's why he like haunts that community. Oh, okay. But he's dead. He is dead. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. And I think um, that, like in later in in later uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets, there may be the implication that he's dead, but he exists in the dream world, and maybe he can come out or something. It gets weird. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't remember the first movie very much, but um, yeah. So I mean, I, I guess there's a little bit of precedence for this movie. Do we want to talk about the director first? Yeah, actually, let's let's talk a little bit about the director for this. Did you had you seen anything by Christopher Borgley before this? No, uh, I had, and it was uh, he his last movie. So, Dream Scenario is technically his third movie, but like really, it's his second. Uh, he mm-hmm. made a documentary, <clears throat> so a documentary in quotes, I guess, because it's like I think it's a bit of an experimental documentary in 2017 called Drib that sounds really funny but I haven't seen it and then last year he made a movie that was that kind of takes on similar themes I guess as this one like similar but definitely not identical called Sick of Myself that uh, when I watched it I think it just met it it messed me up for like a week like I was just sad for the next week it's very funny but it's like a really (laughs) really I mean it's it's got a lot of jokes, but it's like really, um, it's really heat. It's a very, yeah, okay. uh, it's a very like, I don't know the best word, poignant. Mm. It's like, it, it's hard to watch actually. Um, but it's about a, um, it's a, it's a Norwegian movie about a, uh, about a girl <laughs> who is addicted to attention, I guess is the best way to say it. Like she wants people to pay attention to her and she's like, 
and she's not getting enough attention, the, the kind of attention she wants from people. So she orders off-market illegal pharmaceuticals from Russia that oh, have boy. been, they've been banned everywhere outside of Russia because with high likelihood uh, if you take too many of them, or if you don't take them in exactly the right dosage, they cause yeah. an incurable skin rash. Oh, and wow. she wants the skin rash. She wants the skin rash so that people will pay attention to her. And it's rough. Because yeah. she gets her wish. But like the attention that she ends up getting is obviously uh, not the kind of attention she wants. And she's getting it for disingenuous reasons. So basically her life just goes from already kind of sucking to sucking even worse and now no longer being fixable. Unfortunate. It, it's probably like one of the most affecting movies I've ever seen. Like it was, it was the one that made me feel the most things for the longest amount of time of all the movies I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, damn. That was sadness. <laughs> it made me very, very sad. But yeah. like, it's still like, you know, even even like really most of the time even like super depressing movies i'll watch them and i'll be like damn all right well time to go to sleep <laughs> and yeah. that one like kept me up for a bit oh geez interesting okay so he's a so i feel like he's a director that he really touched you in a way and you probably you're probably invest invested in his directorial journey at this point maybe well, definitely that much. And I would also say that Sick of Myself, uh, in, in his movie Sick of Myself, he sort of gets, a, he gets to like a social media and a, he, he like touches on social media and attention economy and stuff like that, which are all like current issues that no one really seems, that I don't think very many people know how to talk about. And he talks about them in like a really unique way that also is like extremely meaningful. Uh, I think yeah. that one thing that I don't know that this is something that's worth talking about too, too much in dream scenario, but dream scenario was produced by Ari Aster and like Christopher Borgley seems kind of cut from the same cloth. The way that Ari Aster makes like very weird movies that are about <clears throat> something that maybe you've heard of before, but like never seen in quite that way. I think Christopher Borgley does the same thing. And uh, it me it means that like it, it makes for movies that, you know, I always like to go to the movies to see something that I've never seen before. And I think that Christopher Borgley does that really well. Okay. Would, would you say, <clears throat> would you say he has like a lot to learn in the future from what you've seen as well? Um, I'm not sure. It, I really like his. Sorry, go ahead. Well, this this is his. Is this his second feature film? This is his second one. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's on an incredible run, or at least he started an incredible run. It's just two movies so far, but like, this is, um, dream scenario is as good as sick of myself, if not better, in my mm. opinion. And like, honestly, I'm not sure how he can keep it up. But if he can, this is just an incredible run of movies. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that the, uh, I, I think that all the technical aspects of this movie are really, really great. And I think that the, um, the story and the way it's being told is so refreshingly unique that uh, if he's able to keep telling stories like that, then I want to keep, then I want to keep seeing them. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I'm kind of excited to see um his uh his rock because yeah it seems like two movies in and he's already doing really well for himself so mm -hmm. it's really cool um nice and uh how do you feel about Nicolas Cage well I mean <clears throat> you know maybe this is part of the reason that dream scenario is as good or better than sick of myself because Christopher Borgley is already in my good books for sick of myself uh and Nicolas Cage is my favorite actor. So it's sort of like, it's a match made in heaven. I don't know that I want to necessarily see them together, see them like working together all the time. But yeah. like, that was, it was definitely a plus, definitely something that drew me to this movie. And I think that, um, 
it's probably one of my favorite Nick Cage roles. I think he's so good in it and he's so good in it in a way that I think that this is a role that works really well for Nick Cage and leans into the fact that it's Nick Cage, but not in a pandery way, the same way as unbearable weight of massive talent did. Like unbearable weight of massive talent is fine. And Nick Cage in it is good playing Nick Cage. And I think in this character, I think in this movie, he plays a character that clearly was written for him, but isn't just him. Like, if you're going to see this movie for Nick Cage, you're going to see it for Nick Cage as an actor. It's not to see like a bunch of Nick Cage memes. And I think yeah. that this movie like uses that really well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, well, he's he is kind of in a... Uh, I mean, I was reading on his Wikipedia this it, it terms this the past few years his career renaissance, which is interesting because it seems like he's had quite a few ebbs and flows in his career. Um, mm-hmm. where I think I think in the 2010s he was taking on a lot of roles he maybe didn't want to because he was massively in debt from his four divorces or something, <laughs> something like that, which is crazy, and also. I think he's he seems very prolific with his spending. Like he he owned a castle or something, right? I think at one point he might still <clears throat> a castle and like very expensive things inside that castle. All right, I think he owned he owned like the first Superman comic too or something. That's like four million. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, he's. I I feel like he's gotten to a point where maybe money isn't as much of a concern now, and he can really just work on his acting because we've seen him in a lot of uh, very weird different roles for an actor if that makes sense I wouldn't like necessarily say all the movies were great but he's definitely I'd I'd say he kind of reminds me of Daniel Radcliffe in terms of he's just he wants to try some weird stuff he wants to really challenge himself as an actor Mm -hmm. and uh, he's willing to take the risk whether or not that's a good movie like he's willing to be a good actor in a bad movie but fortunately the acting is usually good enough to make it a good movie as well. So, Yeah, part of the reason, I, I mean, I used to say all the reason, it actually is probably all the reason that, like, Nicolas Cage is my favorite actor is I have never seen him, like, phone in a performance. I've yeah. seen performances of him, of his, that were not as good as other ones. Mm-hmm. But, like, even in maybe the worst movie I've ever seen him in, which was uh, Left Behind, even there, he is by far the highlight of that movie, not just because he's Nick Cage and I don't like the rest of it, but because he's actually acting in a movie where like no one, I don't know who they hired. I don't know why they hired the people they hired, but none of them are taking it seriously and no one cares because that is a Christian movie that will make money from the Christian audience. Yeah. <laughs> but like Nick Cage is taking it seriously and actually turning in a performance in the movie Left Behind which I don't even know why he's in that. He doesn't have to be, but he took that anyway, and he's doing a good job in it. And so, like, I, even even in the worst movies I've seen him in, I've never seen him turn... I've never seen him phone in a performance. The worst maybe I think I've seen is occasionally he'll, like, dial in just a bit more than the movie actually needs. And even then, like, he's still fun to watch, just occasionally he won't... He'll be, like, out of sync with what the movie actually feels like it needs. Yeah, he's he's like a I'd say he's he's a maximalist actor. You know, he gives his all every time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying everything and whether it sticks or not. It usually he's just good enough that it usually sticks, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of actors could not pull off what he does in a lot of these movies. And also I like how like even like even when he played himself in Unbearable, I wouldn't say Unbearable Way was a great movie, but I liked how he was able to own. He's also very self aware, I think. Yeah. Of of his status as an actor, and um, I think he's very proud of that too, uh, because yeah, he he won't just because a script like I, I'd say the Unbearable Weight is is a very silly script, but him and I guess Pedro Pascal to to both of them take like take that script very seriously and Mm -hmm. i'd say the movie is very written very average but the actors just really amp it to another level and like i said like earlier i think cage is really good at taking a mediocre script and bringing it to that next level um 
which is it, which is cool because I feel like so often we talk about actors that are kind of victims of their script, and in this case, Nicolas Cage, it's like you couldn't you could give him a bad script and he would refuse to put in a bad performance. Like he'd still he'd still carry that movie on his back no matter what. So mm-hmm. that's cool that like he he's able to take control of that that aspect. So when you give him a good script, he also elevates it too, which oh, yeah. is the most that's that's the best part of it too. Like this dream scenario is already a good script. And if it had anyone other than Nicolas Cage in it, it would probably still be good, but it wouldn't be as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's, I, I feel like in the past it was pig. You said you really like pig, right? Pig was very good. That pig was probably like his one. most, actually you were talking about Nick Cage as a maximalist actor. And I'm trying to think of any movie that I've seen him in where he's like very subdued pig might be the one pig mm. might be like the the best the best example of that and even there it's like i definitely wouldn't call his performance in pig minimalist but it's like less over the top than in most of his other movies but anyway he's extremely good in that so he can yeah. like dial it back and still perform and still give an incredible performance pig actually might have been his best performance in a while before dream scenario. Oh, damn. I still need to watch pig. I remember you you sent me a copy too. And I am, unfortunately I have not watched it yet. He's been actually, I'm looking through his, he's done a lot of movies this year. Oh yeah. He's been in a few. Ren, I guess (laughs) if you can count the flash, but yeah, it's like mm, five movies. The flash is such a weird example for him (laughs) because apparently he did go into the studio and record stuff for, and like, um, he went into the studio and he like put on a costume and shot stuff for the flash and they did not use it. The it's stuff that's him. Yeah. The stuff of him that's in the flash <clears throat> is not what he shot. Jeez. Which is weird because it's also original footage, which means it's just either CGI or AI did. They probably CGI over the original footage because they couldn't get the green screen to look proper or something. I don't know, dude. Yeah, he I I don't know his exact quote, but I remember he did comment on it and he wasn't like he was not enthusiastic about his appearance in the flash. He was like, that's not what I did. Sure. <laughs> um Yeah, so uh dream scenario. Do you wanna tell us a bit about what this movie is about? So in dream scenario Paul Matthews, an evolutionary biologist, played by Nick Cage, suddenly starts appearing in people's dreams. Not everyone's dreams, but like enough people that it gets noticed. Um, at least several hundred. Anyway, he starts appearing in people's dreams, and he doesn't do anything in those dreams. He just like exists. Like they'll be having their normal dream that with, with like a whole plot line and a bunch of stuff happening. And Paul Matthews will just stroll in and be like, and not even necessarily say anything. He'll just be there. And then the dream will end. So like he just starts appearing in people's dreams. He, he becomes an overnight celebrity because all of a sudden people just recognize this person that they've never seen before. Very early on, he, um, one of the people whose dreams he appears in is a journalist who then publishes a story about it. And then that becomes even more widespread. So it's a bit of a self, it's it like kind of feeds itself there. Um, and it's really just about him sort of dealing with this newfound fame as this person that is appearing in people's dreams. He's famous overnight for something that he cannot control. And it's just sort of a, it's, it's about him kind of dealing with the fact that you know, he's famous for something that he can't do anything about and he has no control over that fame. Or at least in the context of this movie, he has very little control over what people even think about him because he's not famous for anything that he did. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a... I mean, it starts off pretty... pretty. He's, he's like a Walter White character very much at the start. I guess kind of at the end too where it... It kind of goes out of control where you, you have a very meek mannered person who uh, is, I, I guess the me- movie's kind of a metaphor for a midlife crisis too. 
where <clears throat> where he instantly achieves fame for no reason um which is kind of interesting because in a way because i think a lot of movies like this it's usually because they did something but like this movie it literally has nothing to do with him like yeah. he didn't do anything special um nick cage despite appearing in people's dreams is still not special in any way so it's cool to see the effects of someone who is still not special achieving <laughs> and how mm -hmm. they deal with it i guess but yeah i don't know would you I, I, well, I mean, I think you liked it from what I can tell. Because... Oh, yeah, I loved this movie. <clears throat> I, uh, I saw it at TIFF, and I had the opportunity to see it again yesterday, so I made sure to go right back and see if it was as good on a second on a rewatch, and it might have been better, actually. Mm. So, yeah, I, I really, really loved this. I think that it's um, because of the route that things go, because the whole point, I guess, of his fame in this movie is that it's entirely out of his control. Like, early on, he's famous for something he didn't do, which is, well, appearing in people's dreams, but he didn't cause that. There was nothing that he intentionally did that made that happen. There's not even really anything he did accidentally that made that happen. That goes unexplained for the entire movie. Yeah. Um, but halfway through the movie, he starts appearing in people's nightmares, not just their dreams. It's like now he's appearing in their nightmares and he's doing, he's no longer passive, which means mm -hmm. immediately people don't like him. So like <laughs> his, his life goes from, you know, overnight fame where overnight fame, mostly in a good way where people just like see him on the street and they're like, Hey, you're the dream guy to at the end where like no one wants to be anywhere near him because he's a dangerous man. Even though again, at no point during the movie has he actually made himself that dangerous a person. He takes some actions later on in the movie that make him, you know, that, that show that he's not entirely passive, but even then he's like normal levels of old man dangerous. Like he might get angry at you or something. Like, he's not actually doing anything. And so anyway, I guess what I was trying to get at was um, a lot of people, when I've seen people talk about this movie, they talk about the, um, the cancel culture aspect of it. And I think that that is um, something that Christopher Borgley brings to the table, like, really well. Because mm -hmm. this is a movie about cancel culture. <laughs> But it never feels like it doesn't feel like it's trying to push a political point. It doesn't even really feel like it's trying to talk about, quote unquote, cancel culture. It's just the effects of someone like becoming an overnight celebrity and then for whatever reason, justified or not, just getting on the wrong side of the public. And then how and then like their responses to that not making things better. And so, like, yeah. there is that cancel culture allegory in it. And I think that, um, I think that's, that's kind of, I guess what I wanted to say is that's kind of, like, the interesting part that Christopher Borgley brings in that he's able to comment on in a way I haven't seen. Similar to, like, the way that Sick of Myself talks about addiction. It's talking about it in a way I've never seen before. And this is talking about cancel culture in a way I've never seen before. I think that's what makes this movie so interesting for me is he brings such a unique perspective to it. But then also, like you said, um, and I'm, I'm very glad you independently came to this point too, because like when I was rewatching this today or yesterday, it felt like it felt like the movie was depicting how it feels to go through a midlife crisis. Um, and yeah. I, I, I'm saying, I'm saying too much. So I will, uh, I will, let no, you talk for a minute. <clears throat> no, let's see. I want to. What, what do you mean about the midlife crisis stuff? Um, I think what's really cool about this movie, like dreams, dreams are a are are a main like thing in this movie. Obviously, like it's about mm. a guy who appears in dreams, but he appears in dreams through no fault of his own, and the people that see him in their dreams don't see him. Like they see his form, him as a person, but like their mind is completing what's going on in that dream. I don't know why their mind has put Paul Matthews there, but whatever is going on, like their mind is coming up with whatever's happening there. It's their dream is out of their control. And like, that's 
how Paul Matthews' life is too. His entire yeah. fame is out of his control. And in the beginning, like the movie opens with a dream and we keep seeing like different dreams where Paul Matthews will appear. And as the movie goes on, the dreams have their own very specific visual language. So like, it's never technically ambiguous in this movie. What is a dream and what is real life? But as the movie goes on, Paul Matthews becomes less and less in control of his own real life to the Mm. point where like at the end, you know, not even at the end, by halfway through the movie at the latest, he's just kind of going through the motions of what he has to do and trying to get his life on track. But even if he has like decided that he's going to do something that will, you know, result in his life being back on track, it doesn't matter because he's barely in control of it. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's where the midlife crisis thing for me comes up. And that's where I think this movie is like, you know, also potentially deeply affecting in the same way as sick of myself is like, it's a bit, a story of a man slowly, like not even slowly overnight, losing control of his life, not just overnight becoming famous and not knowing how to deal with it, but overnight, like his entire his entire life becomes like a dream that he can't do anything about. The very last line of the movie would be a spoiler to say now. So I will hold on (laughs) to that. But the very last line of the movie, when I saw that hit really hard the last, the second time I saw this. Yeah, I I do. I, I think the, but I actually didn't even think about it until today, but like the, the midlife crisis metaphor personally, I think works a lot better than the, the cancel culture um, story. I actually think <clears throat> I, I, I'd like the movie. I didn't, I'd say it was really close to like, there were just some things that would have changed that I think would have made it a lot better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think once they dedicate to kind of the cancel culture storyline, I kind of start to lose interest where it feels pretty straightforward what happens. Whereas I think the midlife crisis stuff, there's a lot more um, subtlety and intrigue to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because with, with it doesn't really show us anything new about cancel culture. I think, you know, I, I, I do like the idea of they use the dream stuff to portray the idea that he he's, he's literally being canceled for something out of his control, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a problem. I think that does happen. Or sometimes, uh, like when you are famous, um, I, mean, I, I can assume when you're famous from what I can tell that opinions can shift very quickly off of something that isn't in your control too. It might be an article where someone frames you in a certain way or whatever, like you, you cannot, you are, you are kind of subject to people's perception of you and you will be treated mm-hmm. um, not because of something you did, but because of someone's perception of what you could have done, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I do find that interesting. Um, but I feel like for the most part, the movie, the way the movie tackles it, it's it's more like, like it didn't, it could have been anything at that point. It didn't have to be dreams anymore. Once they started having bad dreams, everything after that, the dreams weren't important. It was just the movie became about cancel culture. And the dreams were just kind of like what happened in the first half of the movie that, that made this cancel stuff happen, right? Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a lot. I, I thought there was a couple plot points where, I thought it would have been more interesting interesting to pursue like the uh like you like more of the midlife crisis stuff um you know his relationship with his family and maybe his fame um whereas i feel like in the movie the family just kind of shuts off completely after he starts getting canceled right um there was not much subtlety to that um mm-hmm. which is fair because i think in that scenario that's probably what would happen <laughs> but um also, like, it's not as interesting to watch, in my opinion. But I really like the idea. I think it kind of falls apart. Or not just, I shouldn't say it's a good movie. It doesn't fall apart. But I, I, I loved it. I thought it was perfect until that scene where he's with that girl, the, the assistant. And he, um, I don't know if this is, a, this isn't, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but she, she has a, she wants him to reenact what he does, something he does in her dream, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and it's of the sexual nature. <laughs> and it's a very awkward scene. But I think what I really wanted them to do there was, 
Like, I love the idea of, I thought it was hilarious, the idea of a guy showing up in people's dreams and actually not doing anything, like literally just being there, because I thought it was a perfect representation of this guy finally achieved fame, but it's the fame of literally being boring and doing nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I love that angle so much. I thought that was hilarious. And, um, and also it, it really made you think, right? Where, yeah. so I was really hoping that she would have a dream where or she or when they reenact the dream she she would just want him to stand in the corner and not do anything <laughs> like that's that would be like like he he when he got famous from dreams he thought you know he'd have sex with like attractive women and get money and fame and stuff but instead he's just he's the guy that people don't care about still but he's just famous yeah imagine if i'm um, like her her sex dream was him coming in and like actually doing something but imagine if her sex dream was just her sitting around feeling increasingly more scared while he watches through the corner it's just weird and like yeah that he has to that, that he has to reenact that like what do you even think in that situation i don't know if that necessarily yeah exactly would be better but it would have been very funny too yeah, it would have been hilarious. Or like, I thought it would have been funny if it was like, um, like there was this weird, like right before they cut to the scene in the apartment, is there a guy that looks like Nick, like dressed up to look like Nicolas Cage that walks into the restaurant? Yeah, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. Okay, so I thought that what was going to happen, okay, this is kind of weird, but I thought what was going to happen was she was going to have sex with a guy dressed as Nicolas Cage. And he would have to watch in the corner or something to like complete the dream. <laughs> and I thought that would have been so cool because it's just like, it's like he's famous, but he all like his life still sucks. You know, like it's just like a different kind of fame where he's, he's just the guy that's boring. Um, and I was just really disappointed when it, it kind of, I feel like once she starts to kiss him and stuff and like they start to, uh, you know, do stuff. The movie kind of goes into the stereotypical like, oh, this is what happens when you achieve fame. And then it becomes a cancel culture movie. And it reminded me a lot of Don't Look Up, actually, after that point. Better, like oh. better made, obviously. <laughs> but it reminded oh. me of like Leonardo DiCaprio's character of, you know, he achieves fame um, and he has a certain mission and then he kind of just veers off his path. And then, you know, it becomes a movie about fame and not about which what, what I was interested in was the, the dream stuff, the dream stuff and someone being very boring in everyone's dreams. Yeah. I think that a lot of the, like, I think that a lot of the things about this movie that where, where you're mentioning that it like is a little bit weaker also feed in. I also actually do feed in really well to the midlife crisis stuff mm -hmm. because I think that like up until the sex scene basically he's famous for not doing anything and he's mm -hmm. it bothers him from the first time he hears about a dream about himself that he's just yeah. in this dream and doesn't do anything mm -hmm. and every and like he doesn't like freak out about it but every time that someone like tells him that he's in <laughs> one of their dreams and he doesn't do anything in it you can tell he's like a little bit upset about that and then the one time that he meets someone where he does do something in her dream, he reenacts that, can't actually fully reenact it because it's not something he would normally do and doesn't want to do. So mm -hmm. he like kind of like bails on the night. And after that, all of a sudden, he's no longer passive in people's dreams. So the one time he tries to take action on something, he picks the wrong thing to try and take action on. And uh, his entire life crumbles around him for it, which to me feels like, you know, you'll hear this story, the stories of midlife crises that you always hear or crises that you always hear are like a guy in his 50s is feeling depressed. So he buys a Ferrari, which ruins his house, which ruins his finances. And now he's got to deal with that. He did yeah. one nice thing for himself. And that uh, was the wrong nice thing for himself. And now his life is crumbling. And I think that that's kind of what's happening here. He's not buying a Ferrari. He's like almost maybe could potentially trying to have an affair, which is a mm -hmm. bad choice, but it's one thing that he's doing for himself and he picks wrong. So everything yeah. cr crumbles around him. 
yeah like i think that that's that there is like i guess the movie portrays that but i think it gets distracted by the cancel culture message because like i would have liked to see more of like the maybe the result of his actions with the dreams kind of um affecting the family you know and maybe he gets distracted mm. because i actually like um i thought one of the highlights of the movie is that him and his wife had like great chemistry in the movie which i was really yeah. surprised by because i don't know the actor that uh, played his Julianne wife from anything nicholson. julianne nicholson um i've never i don't think i've seen her in anything or at least anything like big um, um she's or... she's been in a lot of things that are big <clears throat> Okay, well, I personally, I don't recognize her. I, I'm not trying to comment on her career. But yeah, but no, she, they had great chemistry. And I thought, you know, at the start of the movie, their their relationship was was something I was very, like, invested in because of the way mm -hmm. they portrayed it. And I think, you know, with the midlife crisis stuff, if maybe he was still in people's dreams and doing nothing, but, you know, it started to distract from his wife and his kids or because, you know, his there was hints of his wife being jealous or just con concerned of like other people dreaming about her husband. Like, I, I just think that that would have been a lot more interesting to focus on. Whereas once the dreams, people start dreaming bad of him, it's like, it's literally like a, a 180 of his wife doesn't like him anymore. And his kids don't like him anymore. And there's no, uh, there's not, there's not much of the back and forth between like him, his life falling apart. If that makes sense. There's one part, I, I think for me, the weakest part of this movie is the very, very ending. Like not, not the, not the literal last scene. I think that's amazing. Oh, actually. that, that scene's very, yeah. yeah, I love that scene. But like this movie, especially after the sex scene where it does, where things do start falling apart for him, it, the movie sort of builds to a scene that is a very obvious climax for the movie. Like the worst thing he could possibly do mm -hmm. uh, at one point. And like, once that happens, the movie like cuts to black and cuts to a few months later and there's a bit of an epilogue. And that epilogue isn't bad. And I think that that, but I think that epilogue is better as a device to show the parts of the midlife, like the part of the midlife crisis metaphor that hasn't been shown yet or that could be like more nailed down than it is as like anything else like because that part that i think is the weakest part of the movie because it's like an epilogue that shows that his life has basically fallen apart and it's not it's kind of it's full of jokes but it's not as interesting as the rest of the stuff where he is at the very least taking an active role in his life but mm -hmm. also that's kind of the point of that epilogue is in that epilogue nothing happens that he actually tries to do until the very last scene. Everything at that point is him going with the flow, just like he's, he's not in control of anything anymore, which I think like drives home that midlife crisis metaphor where, you know, he's getting his life back on track, but he hasn't fixed anything. He's only actually made anything, everything worse. Yeah. <laughs> and he's never sucks. been in control of it the whole time. Yeah. I think in a, in a movie like this too, like, when things are just ramping up and getting crazy and crazier, it's really hard to stick a third act. Mm -hmm. That's why, because the third act, I can't tell if the third act is more of an epilogue or what, because it's like, it's basically like he loses his family and you could say that's the end of the second act, but you could also say that's a climax too, because it's just kind of all blurs together where it's just like, it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's and sort of then, like trying to remember a dream. It all sort of blurs together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and uh, the, you kind of get the resolution of um, of it, but it's there's not much to resolve, right? Because you can't really just fix it. It's impossible mm -hmm. to fix because it's gone so crazy. Um, so in a way, the movie just kind of has to like let it go in a way, um, which is, I, I don't know. I think because another plot point I think they could have gone was I thought I thought they were implying that he had control, like his emotions were very obviously linked to uh, the dreams, you know, so I thought and I, I guess they kind of pursue that in a way, but I thought he would realize like, oh, I have control over how I react in people's dreams. I just have to be a good person and live my best life and appreciate the life I have right now. Right. And then that would kind of be that to me, that would have been a very clear third act um path to take it would have been maybe a little um a little too positive for this movie because it, it seemed to want to end on like a 
it's it, it, it seemed to end, want to end on like a dark note if that makes sense but um i thought i thought that was something the movie was implying and I, I feel like that was a Chekhov's gun that in a way wasn't really fired as well i don't know i think that it's very important to this movie personally that you never find out why he's appearing in people's dreams or like why anything happens in his dreams. Like I think oh, it's, yeah. or in, in their dreams. I think it's like, I think that like, if there was ever any kind of explanation for that at all, even the, even like a hint of this is probably what's happening. It would be like, well, then he, then he is being canceled for something he did. Like, yeah. Which, which is still valid, but in the movie where he is being canceled for things he did, which are his disingenuous apology, being kind of a nut job on when, when people interview him, like being not a great person when people like dislike him for those things, you know, even if that's, even if they maybe dislike him in, uh, even if reactions to him, actual to his actual actions end up being overblown there's still things that he did and it's very important that like those are the things he did if the things he did includes anything he does in the dream that and he could control that yeah. then like it kind of kills the point a little bit well no i i, I don't want i guess i i compare it to like have you have we talked about being John Malkovich before? We have. We had a whole, okay, yeah, yeah, we did have an episode. We did, a, we did an episode. So I'd say it's kind of similar to that where it's like, obviously you cannot explain how they get to be John Malkovich, right? Yeah. Um, Because you don't want that explained. It doesn't make any sense. It's just like the cool thing for the movie. But they use, they use the idea of becoming John Malkovich to its like, to its fullest extent. You know, it, it starts as something they can't control and they figure out to control it. And then they start using it as a tool um, and, and they like fight over being John Malkovich, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's a thing. Whereas, you know, this movie, it's, it's like they, they represent, they kind of, I, I personally, I think it was very heavily hinted that his emotions control the dreams and I don't need them to explain that or be like, or, or need a direct link, but they, in the end, they kind of do explain, like they, they bring up the idea of, uh, the the influencers the dream influencers close to the end which um mm -hmm. which so so they there that is a plot point that they they see and then they, they kind of pursue i just think that with nicholas cage i would have been more interested to see him take control of his situation a little more um and use the dream stuff and to its fullest potential because um in the end i think they set that up and then they gather the dream influencers as like a way of resolving that plot line but it doesn't feel very resolved because it just kind of comes out of nowhere and it doesn't really mean anything and nicholas cage is just kind of he is a very passive again like halfway through the movie he's a becomes a very passive protagonist in that he can't figure out what's going on and the world just happens to him and he just kind of crumbles mm -hmm. um which is like again like i, I would have liked to see a little more action from from the from his character to uh to kind of fix things or resolve because yeah, I, I thought that was a plot point they set up um but yeah i don't know i i i guess to me it's like i love the idea i think the movie the movie lives and dies on the premise and it's an amazing premise i love the premise i just i think for me i i after the first act i envisioned a very different movie happening mm -hmm. um and I think maybe that's why I had a little, I was a little disappointed because um, I got excited about seeing something very different. And we did, we did see something very different, but in the end it became a lot more of a normal movie that we've seen before uh, halfway through, which was disappointing to me, I'd say. Uh, except I just want to say the ending, I mean, I don't know why we do spoilers, but I thought the last couple scenes were like absolutely beautiful. I think and... we should probably just, Start now. Like we're we're forty seven minutes yeah. in. Spoil spoilers, <laughs> spoilers here. This is a spoiler warning. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that ending. Uh, I mean, it's you know the ending where he's dreaming. He's trying to dream dream walk into his wife's dreams. I guess, or is I don't know if it's his ex wife at that point. I have no idea. They seem like they're separated, but not divorced. But I don't know. Okay. 
Yeah, but like, because I, I said earlier, like, the, the their chemistry was amazing. Yeah. And I really liked that relationship. And I was I was really sad that it, it was kind of ditched. But, um, you know, the idea, I, I mean, the the true Chekhov's gun, I thought it was so cool that they brought the that back, the, the what was it, the, the head, what do they call Talking that? Talking head suit. Talking head suit. Like, yeah. that. that's such amazing writing because that totally felt like a throwaway line. That was just like a fun talk between two people. And then they brought it back and I was just like, that is really, really good writing. Because I never would have expected it to come back. But when it did, you instantly know like, like that. He made it. He made he it. it. Like, yeah, he did it. Like he's he remembered what she said and he he loves her. And he, like, I think he he doesn't like wearing the suit, but he wants to he he loves his wife and he really wanted to um, be there for her. So I, I thought that was a, a really touching moment um, for, for the movie to end on, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I um, actually I hadn't thought about it like that until you just mentioned it. But yeah, the moment you see the talking head suit, it's like, he did it. Because up until that point, there's a few, uh, the scenes right before it are him trying unsuccessfully to get into his wife's dreams. And he talks to her and like says, hey, have I been in your dreams? And she's like, no, stop asking. So it's yeah. like, he's clearly <laughs> been trying to do this for a while. And then the moment you see the talking head suit, you don't even know what else is going on just yet. But you're like, he did it. That yeah. son of a bitch, he did it. <laughs> yeah. And then the I, very, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, it's like they imply that sh he can only get into her dreams if she is willing to like, it, it's like, it's not like he's invading her. It's like it, they, they established that the dream walking with the device is con it's consensual dream walking, if that makes sense. Yeah. Although I think that what's kind of funny is they undercut that a little bit because uh, right before that, he comes from one of his dreams oh, right. where he like gets a bunch of advertisers in his dream that he doesn't want. But like, yeah. he is consenting to people being in his dreams, I guess. So it counts. But I think that's a it's it's kind of a throwaway scene. But I well, it's 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 jokes. But like, it's kind of a throwaway scene. But it's still an interesting little commentary on enthusiastic consent because it's like you have to have enthusiastic consent for this to work out. And he just gets ads that he clearly doesn't want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. That's a good point. Um, maybe that's it's consensual unless it's from a dream influencer or whatever they're called. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a safeguard in there or something. Yeah, but they have a no nightmare guarantee. Great, yeah. But that okay. very last line specifically, just like that, that really hit. The very last line of the movie is as he's flying away, like the dream is falling apart, and he goes, "I wish any of this was real." And then it cuts to credits, which I thought was. I thought that that drove home the entire movie because for me, like, especially when I was rewatching it yesterday, the first time I watched it, the midlife crisis metaphor didn't like hit as hard. But the second mm -hmm. time I watched it, like I really got that. And at the very end, I wish any of this was real in the context of the midlife crisis. I was like, Oh yeah. He just went through the strangest thing in his entire life. It ruined his entire life and he couldn't do anything about it. And none of it yeah. felt real, but all of it was. Yeah. There was also, okay, I missed, I want to say I missed the first five minutes of the movie. Um, but I heard there was a scene at the start with like maybe one of the daughter's dreams where something falls from the sky. Yeah, that's the opening scene of the movie. Yeah, so like, I don't, I don't completely understand, but do you think there's a way that they're trying to imply something? Because I don't know the context of that scene, but I read somewhere that it starts like that because at the end of the movie he flies up and then uh, the daughter's dream at the beginning <clears throat> also ends with everyone except for him flying away like everything that's oh actually now that you're mentioning it now that i'm describing that i think i get it so um the opening scene his is uh his daughter hanging out by the pool with mm. him there raking leaves mm. and then stuff starts falling from the sky and like it's like keys. It's it's like a it's like the scene from Nope where stuff starts falling from the sky and breaking shit. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, like everything 
that's real, I guess. Like, his daughter starts, the gravity starts, like, giving way, and his daughter, like, flies into the sky, and he's still there raking leaves. And at the very end, he flies away, and his wife is still there. So it's like, I mean, I don't know... Yeah. I don't know how much to interpret into that, but at the very beginning, like the thing that's that is real is removed from the dream. And then at the end, I guess it's the same thing. Well, maybe that's not even his wife. Maybe he's just dreaming about his wife, which would be really sad. That's a yeah. really sad interpretation. I don't like that, but yeah, I like gonna, that I thought of it. I'm just going to assume they end up back together. That's yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a much happier yeah. uh, ending. But it kind of parallels the the opening scene where his daughter like flies away at the end with yeah. him flying away at the end. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder what the implication of that is. But anyways, uh, yeah. So you you like you like the movie? Yeah, I loved what, this. Final movie. thoughts. Um, I think that it is. I think it's I think it's one of my favorite Nicolas Cage performances, and it's definitely my favorite that I've seen in of of movies that have come out in the last like ten years, easily. Mm, wow. I I try not to place too much weight on awards, but I am going to be very sad if <laughs> Nick Cage isn't up for awards for this, and I'm probably just going to be very sad because I feel like this is not much of an awards contender. But it should be, because I think this is the best he's been in ages. And I include Pig in that. Even in Pig, he was mm-hmm. even though in Pig he was very, very good. Yeah. I I was at well, I guess we never talked about Nick Cage. I really just to touch on it quickly, I really liked him. I thought this felt he just completely sunk into that character. Um I liked the little like hunch he had and he, like he kind of raised his shoulders and the awkward walk he would do and, he's and like, stuff. And he's kind of a dork. Like he leaves, yeah. he fits this, he fits this uh, role so well. He, um, because it's a role where he's allowed to be a bit of a goof, but he's a goof in like an extremely uncool way. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, he reminds me in this movie an awful lot of one of my friend's dad's who is a biology professor and looks very similar to him and is also a goof in the same way. Like, (laughs) and I've worked at universities. Like he, he feels very much like a university professor in this movie. I had a math teacher who actually is exactly like him. Come to think of it. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, probably a math teacher you also had, but just, yeah, I know. (laughs) All All math teachers are, yeah. I, I think he was really great in this, and I thought that the movie was something uh, so unique that I just I, I really want to see more Christopher Borgley too. I think that like I'm very excited for whatever he does next. Yeah, he's a. Uh, I mean, I, I I despite I don't did he write the script? I believe he did. He yeah. did. Okay. I thought I thought the directing was immaculate. Um, I thought it was all very well done. So directing wise, I I think the movie was like just really good. Like I can't like some of those dream sequences. I don't know what this movie was made for, but the dream sequences are very well done, despite for you know a lot of a oh, lot of I, them being I, very quick. I was uh, I was reading the box office and thought that was the budget for a second. Oh okay. And, uh, so I, I I won't I won't say that. But actually, some some fun facts about this movie because I did I did see this at TIFF and there was a Q and A afterwards, and there's um. One one interesting thing that uh, Christopher Borgley said that you might not notice on the first watch, but if you know to look for it, you really notice it later. The dream sequences are all... They have their own visual language. Yeah. All of the dream sequences uh, are lacking a lot of detail. Like, in... Um, because the dream sequences, like, they'll be in a room, and that room might have books in it, but the books don't have titles, because in your dream, you're not paying attention to the titles. You're paying attention to everything else. There's just, like, set yeah. dressing around. Yeah. So the dreams are, like, the dreams are lacking detail in a lot of the background stuff. So even the prop design, like, uh, even the set design, like, feeds into um, feeds into the themes of this movie in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is just a neat little neat little fun fact. Yeah, well, I, I did like the. It's like, yeah, the you can always 
the, the way it was filmed, you could tell if it was a dream or not. They wouldn't, they would never have to describe it directly. Which I really yeah. Liked. I think what I really, really liked about the way it was filmed was yes, you could tell if it was a dream or not. Like there was never any ambiguity about that. However, at the same time, the, the, um, the way it was filmed wasn't that much, wasn't visually that distinct between the dream sequences and the real life sequences. So mm -hmm. even though it was distinct enough that you could tell by the end, when they're still filming the real life sequences, you know, in the same way, and his life is out of his control, it still kind of feels a little bit like maybe he's in a dream. And he definitely isn't, mm. but like, you know, maybe a little bit, because his life is at that point kind of like a dream. Yeah, it's just insane. Uh, also, this is the second thing I've seen Michael Sarah in in two I weeks. was just thinking that. I was like, Michael Sarah was actually, this This felt like such a different role for Michael Sarah. Like, he just seemed like, I don't know, just a normal guy, which I feel like I never see Michael Sarah as, so... It was just, I, I thought it was a very well done role for a normal guy because I was like, wow, Michael Sarah does have range. That's crazy. Yeah, this is a great Michael Sarah role. He feels like such a weird little tech scumbag in this, but not in a, not in an actually dangerous way, like Jesse Eisenberg in the social network or anything like that. He's just like, he, he's just like a, he, he feels like a Zoomer who's now in, who's now in business. Uh, and he feels yeah. like that in a very, in, in like a more authentic way than, than some other depictions I've seen, which are just clearly like where the character is just the butt of the joke. Yeah. But like, there's a scene in this that I really liked where Paul Matthews is getting on. He's, he's slowly sliding, not himself, but his image is sliding towards culture war stuff like Tucker Carlson and such. And, uh, he he says, I don't want to become part of the culture war or anything. I just want to publish my book. And Michael Sarah's on the other end of the line. And he's like, yeah, okay, so I hear what you're saying. And this is going to be a little bit at odds with what you were saying. But there is an opportunity for you to get on Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. I like those little because it, it never the movie never felt political. But there were there were those like subtle uh, commentary on like, I guess that's just cancel culture in general with like yeah. someone becomes canceled they, they instantly have to go extreme right wing to save if you career, get canceled you also get a you also get a three picture deal with the daily wire yeah <laughs> essentially so, yeah, um it it's also movie. so weird how many how like specifically dated to 2022 this movie is because twitter plays a big role it's not twitter anymore guys it's x and Tucker Carlson mm. has an import plays an extremely small but very important role in one scene, and he is no longer on the air between the time this movie premiered oh, and yeah. the actual release date of this movie. Tucker Carlson was no longer on the air. This movie, this movie canceled Tucker Carlson. <laughs> it's actually the story of Tucker Carlson. This is the most September twenty twenty two movie ever. <laughs> Instantly dated. <laughs> so uh fi final thoughts if you had to put a number on this movie what would you do what would you what number would you pick uh, uh i'd say like a six very enjoyable i thought it was really i thought it was really good i just i think part of i think i would have rated it a seven i just i i think i envisioned uh, i can see a better movie in my opinion that i wish that we had gotten um mm -hmm. which i think affects it but i think it's a very well-made movie definitely one of the better movies i've seen this year and i think like i i think objectively actually no i'm not gonna say object that's not <laughs> a thing but it's better i don't know it's like better than a six but i feel a six personally that's fair that's fair for me uh for me it's a strong eight i think that like there's there are some places in it that I don't think are as strong as other parts in the movie. But even with those, I think that they feed into a larger hole that um, kind of makes them indispensable. Like even the stuff at the end that is more of an epilogue or even like where it gets into the cancel culture stuff, I mm. think it feeds into the other themes of this movie in a way that 
makes those themes stronger, even if the individual scenes themselves are not. Yeah. So I get that. So that's where it falls for me. Nice. All right. This is I. Well, this is a good move. I I just um, I was thinking about it after watching this. There hasn't been too many huge, like amazing Oscar movies, like Oscar contenders for me this year. Now that I think about it. Like, cause this is definitely like one of the movies that I can see being nominated for Oscars. It's like this and Oppenheimer, but I can't think of any other movies up top. Uh, of Kill- Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, well that yeah. <laughs> other than that, okay, those three. Um, I, I mean, I I hope this is this is an Oscar movie. I don't know. It feels it feels really small, and to me, like I if I were trying to predict Oscars, I could see. I could see it going for like some technical Oscars or maybe actor for Nicolas Cage, because again, Mm. I think this is one of his best roles in a while, but I think it might be too small and I don't see it going for best picture. So I don't know what a campaign for this movie would look like. Yeah. Which I'm not in campaigning, so I don't know. Maybe there is a campaign and they can like fiend best actor and get him in there, but I don't know. Yeah. I think it might be a little too weird for like best picture. Yeah, and maybe best screenplay, but um, definitely I, I can see Nick Cage being nominated for sure. I think that's mm-hmm. his best chance. So yeah, I definitely hope. I hope so, but we will have to see. What's your last word, Pierre? Talking head. There you go. 